0: This is AENN, American Exceptionalism News Network
1: nine three zero two eight.
2: I am a mom, and there's only one thing that I'm afraid of, and that's the people in elected office taking away my rights. I'm not afraid of the crook. that's going to come to my door because if my dogs don't get him, I will. And it's my job to defend myself. It's not your job to protect me. It's not your job to defend me. It's your job to protect the Constitution and
1: protect my rights to defend myself.
3: I know some people want me to bypass Congress and change the laws on my own. It is
4: the agenda for the
1: 21st century you're living in today. For a brave new world where everything
5: that you cherished and held true no longer exist. The original Constitution, I think it is an imperfect document, and I think it is a document that reflects uh, some deep flaws. And that would authorize him to use the military to arrest people in the United States, who in the President's opinion are enemies of the country. You'll
0: find that they've also asked for the right to imprison farmers who wouldn't keep books as prescribed by the federal government. The Secretary of Agriculture asked for the right to seize farms through condemnation and resell them to other individuals. And contained in that same program was a provision that would have allowed the federal government to remove two million farmers from the soil. These government, Republicans, and Democrats were busy shredding the last vestiges of the Constitution. They're talking about inserting the army into domestic law enforcement. The homeland is part of the battlefield and people can be held without trial, whether an American citizen or not.
2: I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. We get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have this far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future.
4: Take off the tin tinfoil hat. ...and put on the Kevlar. It's time for battle with Paul Breslin and the Agenda
0: 21 Show.
4: Well, hello and welcome to Agenda 21 Radio. This is the radio show that is stopping totalitarianism... One exceptional American at a time. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, are you that exceptional? I suspect you are. That's why you're listening to this radio show. So welcome aboard. A lot of things going on. Of course, it's uh, hour three of the three-hour show that we do here on agenda 21 radio. And I want to thank all of you for listening and becoming a partner with us, especially partners in crime, you know. (laughs) Well, the mainstream media would think we're partners in crime. Well, you know, to them, we are, right? It's always that way when you're talking about criminals and what goes on with criminals because there's a lot of things going on with criminality around here. That's, you know, that's the whole notion of what they're trying to do is break us down into lawlessness. and It's working. In some places, it's working. Have you been? How's that mask working out for you these days? You're all part of the fear mongering that's going on. Quite frankly, you are. And that's really a sad, sad state of affairs. If you if you wear a mask, I mean, it, there's no sense for it. Sorry, there's not. It doesn't work that way. Biology doesn't work that way, and it's amazing how everybody is just transfixed about. We aren't going to die, are we? <laughs> God, no. And it's a bug. It's, it's not even a bug. It's just a you know bunch of RNA floating around. And You going not be afraid of that, right? You know, back in the day when people when they did the uh the Spanish flu business and everybody died off, it was interesting because people realized that um people could actually feel a lot better if they were put outside in the sunlight, in the breeze. And they would heal fat they they get they get well. Shocking. Now you have now you have a whole bunch of people coming out screaming and yelling, and we're going to be showing you that in just a second, about um, hydrochloroquine. We first announced our hydro- We were the first, I think, show or anybody to talk about hydrochloroquine as a cure for all this. That was back in March when all this stuff was really floating around. And, um, you know, who they could go talk to to figure out the genetics behind it. We we passed that information along. And they did, from what I understand. And um, so now we're sitting fat and sassy, right? We're kind of still monitoring what's going on with the Bill Barr thing, and um, in fact, I am going to check it out myself right now. <laughs> Say, okay, what's happening here? Are they is Bill Barr testifying? Or what? I, and I don't know because um, the studio is kind of blank in some of these places. The, the, as we venture on our little internet, well, oh, here we go. Looks like Nadler's here. He's got his mask on, so he's going to be hiding. He's pulling up to the to the dais now he's at the dais he's got his little booster seat on he i think he uses a booster i think he sits on tele, a telephone book or or something like that to make him a little bit taller you know what i mean okay so, uh, uh, here he goes a wide range uh, this is sandra smith who hearing that I wonder what, if she I swings left or right this morning <laughs> everybody's How got their face mask on. give me and a break here it goes. goes here they go Perfect timing.
6: Without objection, the chair is authorized to declare recesses of the committee at any time. we We welcome everyone to this morning's hearing on oversight of the Department of Justice. I apologize for beginning the hearing late. As many of you know, I was in a minor car accident on the way in this morning. Everyone is fine, except perhaps the car. But it did cause a significant delay. I thank the attorney general and the members for their patience and their flexibility. And uh, mm. we will now begin, but before we begin, I want to acknowledge, uh, I want to note that we are joined this morning by the distinguished majority leader, the gentleman from Maryland, Mr. Hoyer. Leader Hoyer has long recognized the need for a very vigorous congressional oversight of the, of the executive branch under both parties. And we appreciate his presence today as we question the attorney general. Before we begin, I would like to remind members that we have established an email address and distribution list dedicated to circulating exhibits, motions, or other written materials that members might want to offer as part of our hearing today. If you would like to submit materials, please send them to the email address that has been previously distributed to your offices and we will circulate the materials to members and staff as quickly as we can. I would also remind all members that guidance from the Office of Attending Physician states that face coverings are required for all meetings in an enclosed space, such as this committee hearing. I expect all members on both sides of the aisle to wear a mask, except when you are speaking. I will now recognize myself for an opening statement. Thank you for being here, Mr. Barr. According to the Congressional Research Service, this is the first time you have appeared before the House Judiciary Committee both during your first tenure as Attorney General 30 years ago and during your current service in the Trump administration. Welcome. 150 years ago last month in the aftermath of the Civil War, Congress created the Department of Justice. We did so with two missions in mind. First, we wanted to replace a system of party spoils with a core of professional government attorneys. Yes, these attorneys would be supervised by the Attorney General And yes, the Attorney General would remain a political appointee, but at its heart, the Department would rely on a foundation of professionals dedicated to the impartial administration of the law and an unbiased system of justice. Second, Congress established the Department of Justice to enforce the nation's first civil rights laws after the Civil War. From that moment on, it became the Department's responsibility to ensure the right to vote and to stem the tide of systemic racism. Now, not every attorney general in the intervening 150 years has given full expression to these two goals. I am certain that every administration has fallen short of those promises in some way over time. But today, under your leadership, sir, these two objectives are more at risk than at any time in modern history. Your tenure has been marked by a persistent war against the department's professional core In an apparent attempt to secure favors for the president. Others have lost sight of the importance of civil rights laws, but now we see the full force of the federal government brought to bear against citizens demonstrating for the advancement of their own civil rights. There is no precedent for the Department of Justice to actively seek out conflict with American citizens under such flimsy pretext or for such petty purposes. 150 years later, we are again at a pivotal moment in our nation's history, Mr. Barr. We are confronted with a global pandemic that has killed 150,000 Americans and infected more than 16 million worldwide. We are coming to grips with a civil rights struggle long swept under the rug, if not outright ignored by our government. We are, as a nation, witnessing the federal government turn violently on its own people. And although responsibility for the government's failure to protect the health, safety, and constitutional rights of the American people belongs squarely to President Trump, he could not have done this alone. He needed help. And after he finished utterly humiliating his first Attorney General, he found you. In your time at the Department, you have aided and abetted the worst failings of the President. Let us recount just some of the decisions. that that have left us deeply concerned about the Department of Justice. First, under your leadership, the Department has endangered Americans and violated their constitutional rights by flooding federal law enforcement into the streets of American cities against the wishes of the state and local leaders of those cities to forcefully and unconstitutionally suppress dissent. Second, at your direction, Department officials have downplayed the effects of systemic racism and abandoned the victims of police brutality, refused to hold abusive police departments accountable for their actions, and expressed open hostility to the Black Lives Matter movement. Third, in connection with the white, in coordination with the White House, the department has spread disinformation about voter fraud, failed to enforce voting rights laws and attempted to change the census rules to flaunt the plain text of the Constitution, and even defied court orders on this subject, all in the apparent attempt to assist the President's reelection. Fourth, at the President's request, the Department has amplified the President's conspiracy theories and shielded him from responsibility by blatantly misrepresenting the Mueller report and failing to hold foreign actors accountable for their attacks on our elections, undermining both national security and the department's professional staff in the process. Fifth, again and again, you personally have interfered with ongoing criminal investigations to protect the president and his allies from the consequences of their actions. When career investigators and prosecutors resisted these brazen, unprecedented actions, You replace them with less qualified staff who appear to be singularly beholden to you. The message these actions send is clear. In this Justice Department, the President's enemies will be punished and his friends will be protected, no matter the cost, no matter the cost to liberty, no matter the cost to justice. Finally, and perhaps most perniciously, the Department has placed the President's political needs over the public health by challenging stay-at-home orders in the states hit hardest by the pandemic. The, part, the Department's persistent efforts to gut the Affordable Care Act will make recovery that much harder. These actions come at a price. Real damage to our democratic norms, the erosion of the separation of powers, and a loss of faith in the equal administration of justice. In the hands of President Trump, A Department of Justice that adopts a dangerously expansive view of executive power and demonstrates a willingness to shield him from accountability represents a direct threat to the liberty and safety of the country. And we were warned. At your confirmation hearing, Professor Neil Kinkoff testified, and I quote, public confidence in the rule of law depends on there being an attorney general who will not allow the President to do whatever he wants with the Justice Department. William Barr's views of presidential power are so radically mistaken that he is simply the wrong man at the wrong time to be Attorney General of the United States, close quote. Again, this failure of leadership comes at great cost. This administration has twisted the Department of Justice into a shadow of its former self, (laughs) capable of serving most Americans only after it has first served those in power. This committee has a responsibility to protect Americans from that kind of corruption, Mr. Barr. We have a responsibility to ensure that the Justice Department and its Attorney General administer justice equally and fairly. And this is what has brought us to this hearing room today. We want to give you a chance to respond to our questions to these and other matters. And we hope and expect that you will do so in a clear and forthright manner. Our members expect sincere answers today, and our country deserves no less. I now recognize the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, the gentleman from
3: Ohio, Mr. Jordan, for his opening statement. Spying, that one word, that's why they're after you, Mr. Attorney General. 15 months ago, April 10th, 2019, in a Senate hearing, you said this sentence, quote, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. Spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It sure is. And since that day, since that day, when you had the courage to state the truth, they attacked you. They've been attacking you ever since every day, every week for simply stating the truth that the Obama Biden administration (laughs) spied on the Trump campaign. One year ago, New York Times headline said this one year ago, quote, FBI sent investigator posing as assistant to meet with Trump aide in 2016. The FBI sent a young lady who used the name Azra Turk to meet Papadopoulos in September of 2016. They sent someone pretending to be someone else to meet a person associated with the Trump campaign. You know what they call that? You know what they call that? Spying. One month later, October 2016, they used the dossier to spy on Carter Page. The salacious unverified dossier, Jim Comey's words, not mine. They took it to the FISA court, didn't tell the courts that the Clintons paid for it, didn't tell the court that the guy who wrote the document, Christopher Steele, had already communicated to the Justice Department that he was, quote, desperate to stop Trump from getting elected. And guess what? There were 15 more lies that they told the court. 17 in total. They're outlined by the inspector general, each and every one of them in his 400 page report. But guess what? Chairman Nadler refuses to allow Mr. Horowitz to come here and testify and answer our questions about the 17 lies the Obama-Biden administration told to the secret court. The Obama-Biden DOJ opened the investigation in July, they used a secret agent lady to spy on Papadopoulos in August, they lied to the FISA court in September, and they did all this without any basis for launching the investigation to begin with. How do we know that? How do we know there was no basis? They told us. Now, they didn't want to tell us, but thanks to Rick Grinnell, who released the transcripts of their testimony, we now know there was no basis for them to start the investigation in the first place. Sally H. Rhodes, Samantha Power, Susan Rice, here's what Susan Rice says, I don't recall intelligence I would consider evidence of a conspiracy. How about James Clapper? I never saw any direct evidence that the Trump campaign or someone in it was conspiring with the Russians to meddle with the election. Say that again. I never saw evidence that the Trump campaign was conspiring and yet they investigate him. There was never a proper predicate. So why'd they do it? There was no reason to do it. Why'd they do it? They told us that too. Peter Strzok, August 2016, asked, is Trump going to win? What's his response? Remember, this is Peter Strzok. This is the guy who ran the investigation. No. No, he's not. We'll stop it. August Peter Strzok says we'll stop Trump. September, they spy on Papadopoulos. October, they use the fake dossier to lie to the court. But guess what happens in November? Guess what happens in November? November 8, 2016, the American people get in their way. 63 million of them, to be exact. Not er- now everything changes. Now the real focus is wow, wait a minute, we didn't stop him. He won. Now what do they have to do? They have to do the cover up. And who do they have to go after? Who's target number one in their cover up the former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, the guy who's about to become national security Advisor to the president of the United States, Michael Flynn. They can't have him hanging around because he'll figure it out. So they decide to go after Michael Flynn, three star general served our country for over three decades, and we know they went after him because they told us that, too. Bill Priestep, head of counterintelligence at the FBI, the day they interview Flynn, January 24, 2017, his notes say what? What's our goal? To get Flynn to lie so we can prosecute him or to get him fired? Think about what the Obama, Biden, DOJ, what their administration did in the last month. The last month they were in power january 4th the agents investigating flynn want to drop the case comey tells them no january 5th they have the now famous meeting in the oval office obama biden rice comey all of them are in there they're plotting their strategy how they're going to get flynn january sixth, comey goes up to trump tower briefs president-elect trump on the dossier that they already know is false just so they can leak it to the press and the press will write the story that they briefed the president on the dossier and then of course january 24th the day they go set up michael flynn set up Michael Flynn in his interview. Guess what else they did? Guess what else they did between Election Day and Inauguration Day? That two-month time, guess what else they did? 38 people, 49 times unmasked Michael Flynn's name. Comey, Clapper, Brennan Biden, seven people at the Treasury Department unmasked Michael Flynn's name, for goodness sake. And of course, Flynn resigns on February 13th. Flynn resigns on February 13th. Now the cover-up is complete. Flynn's gone, everything's fine, they think, until May 9th, 2017, when President Trump fires Jim Comey. Now they got a problem again. The guy who was gonna keep it all quiet, he's been fired. Now how do they continue the cover-up? Real simple. Jim Comey leaks his memos with the express purpose of getting a special counsel appointed to investigate something they already know is not true. And that's exactly what happened. We get two years, 19 lawyers, 40 agents, 500 witnesses, 2,800 subpoenas, and a 30 million cost to the taxpayer, and they come back with nothing, absolutely nothing. And so all they got left is to attack the attorney general who had the courage to state the truth right from the get go. The first time he testifies after he's confirmed, you guys attack him every day, every week, and now you've filed articles of impeachment against him. It's ridiculous. He had the courage to do what no one else would do at the Justice Department. Sally Yates wouldn't call it spying. Jeff Sessions wouldn't do it. Rod Rosenstein wouldn't do it. Chris, wait, Ray sure as heck isn't gonna do it. So Mr. Turner, I wanna thank you for having the courage to call it what it was, spying. I wanna thank you for having the courage to say, we're gonna get the politics out of the Department of Justice that was there in the previous administration. And maybe most importantly, and we're gonna talk about this in our side one questioning. I wanna thank you for defending law enforcement. For pointing out what a crazy idea this defund the police policy, whatever you want to call it is, and standing up for the rule of law. And frankly, we have a video we want to show that gets right to this point. Can we play that video, please?
0: How I characterize this. This is mostly a protest. It is not. It is not, generally speaking, unruly. Peaceful protest. Peaceful
5: protesters. Peaceful protest. Peaceful
1: protest. Peaceful 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 protest.
5: Peaceful protest.
1: Peaceful protest. Peaceful protest.
5: Peaceful protest.
1: Peaceful protest.
2: On behalf of myself, my children, and the family of David Dorn, we'd like to thank friends, neighbors, co-workers, and the community for showing all the love and support we've suffered through the tragic loss of my husband, my beloved husband, David Dorn. We'd also like to thank St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department for their hard work and perseverance through this investigation as well as circuit attorney's office. He dedicated his life to the city of St. Louis, retiring at the rank of captain after 38 years of distinguishable service. Then as a chief of Moline Acres for almost six years. During those years, he's touched so many lives as a friend, mentor, coworker, and guardian. His life was senselessly taken from me, from us, by an opportunist who had no regards for human life or the law. This didn't have to happen, but it must have been God's plan for David. We need to do better. We need to teach our young people that life is very precious. We as a family are gonna be taking some time to focus our attention on healing which is very important
1: as we move forward.
2: We would like David's legacy to be remembered as a loving husband, father, grandfather, brother, uncle, friend, colleague, and most importantly a child of God. I'm going to thank you all for coming and God bless you all. <laughs>
4: video of rioting in various places uh, that have been going on just recently. And uh, Bill Billboard his letter, his response is going to be addressing the rioting and the mayhem that they're all seeing in the, in the uh, hall. It's been very effective uh, by Jim Jordan, the ranking member. Not a good visual for the Democrats here. (laughs) Not a good visual at all.
6: I hope that uh, Mr. Jordan will never uh, complain about the length of my opening statement. Without objection, I am going to insert the committee's uh, audiovisual policy into the record of this hearing uh, and note that the minority did not give the committee the 48 hour notice required by that policy. Without objection, all other opening statements will be included in the record. I will now introduce today's witnesses. William Barr has served as the Attorney General of the United States since February 14, 2019, having previously served in the same position from 1991 to 1993 under President George H.W. Bush. He also served as Deputy Attorney General and Assistant Attorney General of the Office of Legal Counsel under the Bush administration, was a member of the domestic policy staff under President Reagan, served in the Central Intelligence Agency, and was a law clerk for Judge Malcolm Wilkie of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. In addition to his significant public service, he also has extensive experience practicing law in the private sector. Attorney General Barr received his A.B. and M.A. from Columbia University and a J.D. from George Washington University School of Law. We welcome the Attorney General and we thank him for participating today. Now, if you would please rise, I will begin by swearing you in. Would you raise your right hand, please? Left hand. Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the hand. testimony you are about to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, to help you guide? Let the record show the witness has answered in the affirmative. Thank you and please be seated. Please note that your written statement will be entered into the record in its entirety. Accordingly, I ask that you summarize your testimony in five minutes. To help you stay within that time, there is a timing light on your table. When the light switches from green to yellow, you have one minute to conclude your testimony. When the light turns red, it signals your five minutes have expired. Mr. Barr, you may begin. Thank you, Mr.
5: Chairman. Good morning, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Jordan. Uh, I'm pleased to be here this morning. On behalf of the Department of Justice, I want to pay my respects uh, to your colleague, Congressman John Lewis, an indomitable champion of civil rights and the rule of law. I think it is especially important to remember today that he pursued his cause passionately and successfully with unwavering commitment to nonviolence. As I said in my confirmation hearing, the Attorney General has a unique obligation. He holds in trust the fair and impartial administration of justice. He must ensure that there is one standard of justice that applies to everyone equally and that criminal cases are handled even-handedly based on the law and the facts and without regard to political or personal considerations. And I can tell you that I've handled criminal matters that have come to me for decision in this way. The President has not attempted to interfere in these decisions. On the contrary, he has told me from the start that he expects me to exercise my independent judgment to make whatever call I think. And that is precisely what I've done. Indeed, it's precisely because I feel complete freedom to do what I think is right that induced me to serve once again as Attorney General. As you just said, Mr. Chairman, I served as Attorney General under President George H.W. Bush. And after that, I spent many years in the corporate world. I'm almost 70 years old. I was almost 70 years old and slipping happily into retirement. I had nothing to prove and I had no desire to return to government had no prior relationship with President Trump. Let me turn briefly to the several pressing issues of the day. The horrible killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis understandably jarred the whole country and forced us to reflect on long-standing issues in the nation. Those issues obviously relate to the relationship between law enforcement and the African-American community. Given our history, it's understandable that among black Americans, there's at least some ambivalence and often distrust toward the police. Until just last 50 years ago or so, our laws were inst- and our institutions were explicitly racist, explicitly discriminatory. It was not until the 60s that the civil rights movement finally succeeded in tearing down the Jim Crow edifice. Our laws finally came to formally embody the guarantee of equal protection. And since then, the work of securing civil rights has rightly focused on reforming institutions to ensure they better conform to our laws and to our aspirations. That work, it's important to acknowledge, has been increasingly successful. Police forces today are far more diverse than they've ever been. And there are uh, both more black police chiefs Although the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police was a shocking event, the fact is that these events are fortunately quite rare. According to statistics compiled by the Washington Post, the number of unarmed black men killed by police so far this year is 8. The number of unarmed white men killed by police over the same period of time is 11. And the overall numbers of police shootings have been decreasing. Nevertheless, every instance of excessive force is unacceptable and must be addressed appropriately through legal process as is happening now in Minneapolis. But apart from the numbers, I think these events strike a deep chord in the black community because they are perceived as manifestations of a deeper lingering concern that in encounters with police, blacks will not be treated even-handedly. They will not be given the benefit of the doubt They will be treated with greater suspicion senator tim scott has recounted the numerous times he's been unjustifiably pulled over on capitol hill and as one prominent black professional in washington said to me african americans often feel treated as suspects first and citizens second and i think these concerns are legitimate at the same time i think it would be an oversimplification to treat the problem as rooted in some deep-seated racism generally infecting our police departments It seems far more likely that the problem stems from a complex mix of factors which can be addressed with focused attention over time. And we in law enforcement must be conscious of the concerns and ensure that we do not have two systems of justice. Unfortunately, some have chosen to respond to George Floyd's death in a far less productive way by demonizing the police, promoting slogans like, all cops are bastard and making grossly irresponsible uh, proposals to defund the police. The demonization of the police is not only unfair and inconsistent with principles of all people should be treated as individuals, but gravely injurious to uh, the inner city communities. When communities turn on and pillory the police, officers naturally become more risk averse and crime rates soar. Unfortunately, we are seeing that now in many of our cities. The threat to black lives posed by crime on the streets is massively greater than any threat posed by police misconduct. The leading cause of death for young black males is homicide. Every year, approximately 7,500 black Americans are victims of homicide. The The vast majority of them, around 90%, are killed by other blacks, mainly by gunfire. Each of those lives matter. It is for this reason that in selected cities where there has been an upsurge in violent crime we are stepping up and bolstering the activities of our joint anti-crime task forces finally i want to address a different breakdown in the rule of law that we've witnessed over the past two months in the wake of george floyd's death violent rioters and anarchists have hijacked legitimate protests to wreak senseless havoc and destruction on innocent victims. The current situation in Portland is a telling example. Every night for the past two months, a mob of hundreds of rioters have laid siege to the federal courthouse and other nearby federal property. The rioters have come equipped for fight, armed with powerful slingshots, tasers, sledgehammers, saws, knives, rifles, and explosive devices. Inside the courthouse are a relatively small number of federal law enforcement personnel charged with with a defensive mission to protect the courthouse. What unfolds nightly around the courthouse cannot reasonably be called protest. It is by any objective measure an assault on the government of the United States. As elected officials of the federal government, every member of this committee, regardless of your political views or your feelings about the Trump administration, should condemn violence against federal officers and the destruction of federal property. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Uh, and I appreciate your uh, listing for me the areas of concern uh, in your opening statement, and I'm looking forward to addressing them all.
1: Thank you.
6: Thank you for your testimony. We will now proceed under the five-minute rule with questions. And I will recognize myself for five minutes. On July 22nd, you joined the President as he announced the expansion of Operation Legend, initiative... Let me start that again. On July 22nd, you joined the President as he announced the expansion of Operation Legend, an initiative to combat violent crime in Kansas City, with approximately $61 million in DOJ grants. I am confused, however, as to the purpose of launching Operation Legend at this moment in time. In December of last year, you announced that the department would divert over $70 million in grants to seven U.S. cities under an initiative called Operation Relentless Pursuit, correct? That's right. And Operation Relentless Pursuit targeted a familiar list of cities, places like Albuquerque, Baltimore, and Kansas City, correct? Correct. At the same, July 26th.
4: Well, we seem to have a pause in the video. Gee, shocking. See if this is um, how it's going to be par- parlayed here. I guess we have to reboot. You know, <clears throat> anyway, very interesting introduction. He shortened it a little bit because of time constraints laid down by relentless um, pursuit
6: or other programs. Maybe. Well, that was correct. I think you could be forgiven for being confused. Operation Legend appears to be little more than a repackaging of existing operations in these cities. So why all the drama? Why join the President at the White House to announce a bold new operation that appears to be neither bold nor new? Understandably, Americans are very suspicious of your motives here. There are those who believe you are sending federal law enforcement into these cities not to combat violent crime but to help with the president's reelection efforts. The president has made clear that he, wants con- that he wants conflict between protesters and police to be a central claim, a central theme of his campaign. So let me ask you directly, Mr. Barr. Yes or no? Yes or no? Did you rebrand existing projects under the legend in order to assist the president in an election year? I wouldn't Mr. call it. Mr. I wouldn't. Mr. Attorney it. General, would you agree with me at least on principle? that it is improper for the Department of Justice to divert resources and law enforcement personnel in an effort to assist the president's reelection
5: campaign? No, uh, Mr. Chairman, in the fall, we did inaugurate an anti-crime initiative because we were concerned about increasing violent crime in a number of cities, and we call that relentless pursuit. Unfortunately, COVID intervened, and our agents who were detailed for these assignments could not perform uh, the operation. So the operation was squelched by COVID. So we couldn't complete uh, or make much progress on the relentless pursuit, however, in the intervening time we saw violent crime continuing to rise and a lot of that was triggered by the events after uh the uh, death of george floyd so we did reboot the program after covid started breaking and our, we could commit the law enforcement resources to actually accomplish Uh, the mission, which is to reduce violent crime. Now, I regret that COVID interrupted our law enforcement (laughs) activities, but it doesn't obviate the fact that there is serious violent crime in these cities. These police and and mayors have been asking us for help, and we have put in uh, additional federal agents and investigators to help deal with it.
6: Have you, now, yes or no? Have you discussed the president's reelection campaign with the president or with any White House official or any
5: surrogate of the president? Well, I'm not going to get into my discussions with the president.
6: Well, have you discussed
5: that topic with him, yes or no? Not Not in relation to this program. I didn't ask that. I asked if you discussed that... I'm a member of the cabinet, and there's an election going on. Obviously, the topic comes up. Yes. Well, Well, the topic comes up in cabinet meetings and other things. Okay. It shouldn't be a surprise that that the topic of the election... I didn't say I was surprised. I just asked
6: if you'd done that. So, as part of those conversations with the president or his people about the re-election campaign, have you ever discussed the current or future deployment of federal law enforcement? In, In connection with what? In connection with what you just said, in connection with the, with your discussions with the president or with other people around him of his reelection campaign, have you discussed the current or
5: future deployment of federal law enforcement? Well, as I say, I'm not going to get into my discussions with the president, but I've made it clear that I would like to pick the cities based on law enforcement need and based on neutral criteria. So, but you, you can't tell me whether you discussed... No, I'm not going to discuss what I discussed with the
6: president. Can you commit today that the department will not use federal law enforcement as a prop in the president's reelection campaign? We are not I, using I law just want federal to close with this thought. You really can't hide behind legal fictions this time, Mr. Barr. It's all out in the open, where the people can see what you are doing for themselves. The president wants footage for his campaign ads, and you appear to be serving it up to him as ordered. In most of these cities... The protests had begun down before you marched in and confronted the protesters. And the protesters aren't mobs, they are mothers, and veterans, and mayors. Well, here we go. In this moment, real leadership would entail de-escalation, collaboration, and looking for ways to peaceably resolve our differences. Instead, you used pepper spray and truncheons on American citizens. You did it here in Washington, you did it at Lafayette Square, you expanded to Portland, and now you are projecting fear and violence nationwide in pursuit of obvious political objectives. Shame on you, Mr. Barr. Can I just say, Mr. Shame on you. Can I just My say time is expired. Uh, uh, okay. For what purpose does Mr. Jordan seek recognition? No, no, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Excuse could, I ju- could I just, have just a My time is expired. For what purpose does Mr. Uh,
0: Mr. Johnson Johnson, Johnson seek recognition? Questions for the witness, and I will yield
5: the floor to him to respond. Yeah. Mr. Chairman, you, you've conflated two different things. The, the, the effort, like legend, uh, is to deal with crime, crime that's committing on the streets of the city. Again, predatory violence, like murder shootings, which are soaring in some cities right now. Uh, that does not involve encountering protesters, as you refer to it. Civil disturbance is a different set of issues. And uh, I, I just reject the idea that the department has flooded anywhere and, and attempted to suppress demonstrators. We make a clear distinction between demonstrators. facts well, no. this is my time answering, and, and you know the fact of the matter is, if you take Portland, Portland, the courthouse is under attack. The federal resources are inside the perimeter around the courthouse, defending it from almost two months of daily attacks where people march to the court, try to gain entrance and have set fires, thrown things, used explosives, uh, and uh, injured police, including just this past weekend, perhaps permanently blinding three federal officers with lasers. We are on the defense. We're not out looking for, for trouble. And if the state... Uh, and the city would provide the law enforcement services that other jurisdictions do. We would have no need to have additional uh, marshals in the courthouse.
0: On behalf of hundreds of millions of Americans, thank you for that clarification and thank you for being here. And thank you for your service today and uh, your willingness to do this in very challenging times. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, we're, we're very appreciative. It's not an easy job. But it's a vitally important one. I so appreciated what you said in your opening statement today, which is what you said in your confirmation hearing. The attorney has a unique obligation. He must, he holds in trust the fair and impartial administration of justice. We appreciate that so much. The Democrats have asserted here this morning, and they continue to say in the media that under your leadership, the Justice Department has become highly politicized. Why is that a totally unfounded allegation?
5: Because actually what I've been trying to do is restore the rule of law. And the rule of law is, at essence, that we have one rule for everybody. If you apply one rule to A, the same rule applies to B. And I felt we didn't have that uh, previously at the department. We had strayed. And uh, I would just ask people, uh, I'm I'm supposedly uh, punishing the president's enemies and helping his friends. What enemies have I indicted? Who, who could you point to one indictment that has that you feel is is unmerited? Did, that you feel violates the rule of law? One indictment. Now you say I helped the president's friends. The, the cases that are cited, the Stone case and the Flynn case, are both cases where I determined uh, that some intervention was necessary to rectify the rule of law to make sure people are treated the same. I said Stone was prosecuted under me, and I said all along, I thought that was a righteous prosecution, I thought he should go to jail, and I thought the judge's sentence was correct. But the lying prosecutors were trying to advocate for a sentence that was more than twice anyone else in a similar position had ever served, and this is a 67-year-old man first-time offender, no violence, and they were trying to put him in jail for seven to nine years. And I wasn't gonna advocate that because that is not the rule of law. I agree the president's friends don't deserve special breaks but they also don't deserve to be treated more harshly than other people, and sometimes that's a difficult decision to make, especially when you know you're going to be castigated for it. But that is what the rule of law is, and that's what fairness to the individual ultimately comes to, being being willing to do what's fair to the individual. Amen, and thank you for that. And by contrast, what the previous
0: DOJ did under the previous administration was politicized law enforcement. The Obama-Biden administration sabotaged the Trump transition. They illegally spied on the Trump campaign. They unmasked members of the Trump campaign. They employed aggressive tactics on their their campaign officials. Senior FBI officials we all know on this committee carried over from the Obama administration, uh, carried on their abuses into the Trump administration and into the whole impeachment scam all the rest. i ask you just one question um, because my time is running now. President Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder famously referred to himself as President Obama's wingman. He said in an interview, quote, I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. There's still work to be done. I'm still the president's wingman, so I'm there with my boy. That's what he said famously. Is it the duty of the Attorney General to be the president's wingman?
5: No, I've already described
0: what I think the duty of the Attorney General is. And and in your office, you are then free to act independently of the president, isn't that true? That is true, particularly on criminal cases, it's required. And that's exactly what he has asked you to do, isn't that right? Yes. Uh, I have no further time. time. I yield back. Thank you. you. Ms. Well, you have no further questions. Your time has expired.
6: Uh, Ms. Lofgren. Uh,
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Attorney General, it's obvious uh, what is happening here uh, from the. Video played during the members' remarks, it's clear that the president's playbook is to divert attention from his catastrophic failure in dealing with the COVID 19 situation. In Canada, our neighbor to the north, in Europe, The virus has been reduced to such a level that people can safely go out and not worry about being infected. But here in the United States, millions of Americans have been infected. Tens of thousands are dying. (laughs) And the president needs to divert from that failure. And what is the playbook? The playbook is to create the impression that there is violence that he must send in federal troops and that the, that the American people sh- uh, should be afraid of other Americans and trust the president because he's going to send in all troops to American cities, and that's how he hopes to win the election. You know, it's one thing to fight crime.
4: Well, I think we're going to have to um, exactly? cut it off here, unfortunately. The hour's over, and we've had uh, three hours of Agenda 21, right? It just goes by like a flash, but... Bill Barr seems to be holding his own. This is Zoe Lofgren uh, from California, Democrat. Um, Of course, she's castigating Mr. Barr, but it's not going to work. Anyway, I think that uh, if you stay tuned to Red State Talk Radio, you can hear the rest of this going on with Tory. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening to Agenda 21 Radio. Visit our website, A21R.com and NewCaliforniaState.com. And stay strong, America. We are exceptional Americans. We are sending out an
0: SOS to the last vestiges of freedom, democracy, and the American way of life.
5: Paul Preston with Agenda 21.
0: This is AENN. American Exceptionalism News Network.